if you're trying to create another interview podcast where you interview business leaders, you're competing with the how I built this of the world. If you're, you know, creating another like tech solving, hacking, like type investigative show, you're competing with the reply alls of the world. So rather than just creating another show that already exists out there, try to be the first, the best, or different. Welcome to Mission Critical, a podcast about the big picture, the purpose, and the values that drive today's most game-changing companies, entrepreneurs, and leaders. I'm your host, Lance Chung, Editor-in-Chief of Bay Street Bull, and I'll be introducing you to a group of brilliant minds who are making an impact on the world and forging the path ahead. While they may all be very different from one another, the question remains the same. What's your mission? Hey, it's Lance Chung, host of the Mission Critical Podcast, and I'm so happy to welcome you back to the show with our first episode of 2023. This year, we've got some big plans for Mission Critical, including a lineup of incredible guests, and most notably, the rollout of our monthly live format, where we invite our audience, yes, that's you, to join us for an intimate IRL experience of the podcast. Why, you ask? Well, in short, we want to be more connected with our biggest supporters, facilitate valuable networking opportunities, and engage in thoughtful conversations through an in-person experience. Plus, we've got a fantastic partner in Veuve Clicquot, the world-renowned champagne house that has championed women leaders and entrepreneurs since being founded by their namesake, Madame Clicquot, back in 1805. We'll be working with them as a presenting partner to celebrate women leaders on the show through the live experience, which we're calling Mission Critical Live. The bold conversations. And what better way is there to kick off our show this year than to talk about the power and potential podcast for businesses than with an expert in the field? Fatima Zaidi is the founder and CEO of Quill Inc., an award-winning production agency that specializes in corporate audio and co-host, a podcast growth and analytics tool. She actually helped us get us on our feet with Mission Critical and, suffice to say, is a leading voice in the matter. Hosted on-site at Toronto's Valerie, located in Hotel X, Fatima and I talked about the growth of the audio format, what businesses should know before starting a podcast, and how they can amplify your marketing strategy. If you host your own podcast, are thinking of starting one, or lead a business and want to explore how to spread the word, this episode's for you. Enjoy. Before we begin, I wanted to say a few words about our partnership with Lopico, which is such a special partnership and a very organic one as well. We have always, as a media company, championed diversity, inclusion, equity um, as a team and in our editorial coverage. It's a really important pillar of our brand. And of course, that means that uh, our focus is you know, conscious and purposeful in highlighting diverse leaders in our community and really what success looks like in Canada, which is uh, a diverse spectrum of leadership and success. We want to both celebrate women leaders as well as acknowledge that there are very specific and unique challenges that women face as business owners and entrepreneurs in the community. So we are very comfortable making sure to do so in our coverage and with our events and our guests and to make sure that our attendees are also reflected that way as well. So it's with this in mind that makes Mokiko such an important partner for us. Um, just a little bit of background. In 1805, Madame Clico demonstrated incredible courage and tenacity when she took the reins of Maison Vlove Clicquot after 
death of her husband. This was during a time when women could neither work nor hold a bank account, which makes her legacy so much more incredible in context. Today, Love Quico has become internationally recognized and respected as a leader in the industry and category. It's an industry leader that celebrates boldness, creativity, an entrepreneurial spirit that turns a spotlight on women business leaders through their Vove Clicquot Bold Woman Award, which is an international program dedicated to supporting women entrepreneurship and identifying future role models to embody Madame Clicquot's courage and business health fair. A little bit of housekeeping, nominations for Canada's Bold Woman Award are currently open and the winners will travel to France uh, for a three-day immersion in the history and tradition of Maison Vos Clicquot and also, perhaps more importantly, participate in the Bold Forum to share their stories and network with other winners from all around the world. You'll be able to meet people from Japan, South Africa, and Germany, um, you know, everywhere that has this, this initiative and this program, you'll be able to network with so many incredible leaders from around the world. It is truly uh, a very, very, very special program. And so I encourage you all to nominate yourselves for this program or share the word with anyone that you think would be a good fit for this. Um, I believe that the nominations are open up until um, March or April, but I'll be able to confirm with you afterwards if you are interested or someone from the book people team can also confirm. Uh, and you can also find the QR code, more information QR code on the base cards that are on our cables here. So now with that in mind, uh, it's the perfect segue for me to introduce tonight's guest, Fatima Zaidi, who is the CEO and founder of Quill Inc., an award-winning production agency that specializes in corporate audio and co-host a podcast growth and analytics tool. She is also the recipient of both Clico's Bold Future Award. So a big round of applause for Fatima. Um, Fatima, welcome. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. I thought I don't know, I don't think you know this, but you were actually where I launched Quill, one of my first clients, my first legacy client. So thank you for giving uh, Quill a chance. And years later, here we are. And this feels like a very full, full circle moment. Yes, definitely. And that's what we aspire to do is just to make sure that we're able to continue cultivating our community and our network and our relationships with everyone that attends our events as well. Um, so the, the topic of today's event is really to kind of unpack the world of podcasts, but obviously there's a lot that we can talk about in terms of podcasts, but what I specifically want to focus on uh, for today's conversation is how podcasts can be really a powerful tool for businesses because there are people in our audience who are decision makers, who are also uh, leading their own respective brands, who are leading um, the brands that they work for. And so this is something that I hope will we'll bring a lot of key takeaways from your expertise in the matter as well. Let's talk uh, a little bit about the landscape to start off. In 2022, there were a lot of big headlines that uh, we saw in the podcast space. Spotify had exclusive offers and deals with Joe Rogan for allegedly $200 million, Dak Shepard for an undisclosed amount, Meghan Markle for an estimated $15 to $20 for a three-year deal, Amazon also secured exclusive rights for the Spartans podcast in the range of 60 to $80 million. So Fatima, what does this kind of frenzy to secure talent say about just the overall success and potential of the sector overall? Because obviously companies are really placing big bets on the sector and the talent sector. 
You know, I was wondering how long it would take before someone brought up Joe Rogan. Which is a happened right off the bat. So um, let me tell you how I feel about Joe Rogan. Still listen to his content. He appeals to a very specific demographic. And yes. I um, have notoriously said for a very long time that Joe Rogan is proof that he keep going in podcasting, no matter how shit your content is, <laughs> you still make it. So that's it for us tonight, people. Key takeaway. Podcasting is a marathon, not a sprint. Um, so on that note, I will say, yes, there's been a lot of major acquisitions happening this year. Uh, a lot of movement in the, in, the, in the industry, which has been amazing, which is, I think, further solidified that podcasting is here to stay. And I remember when I first launched Quill, everybody kept saying to me, I think it's pretty risky going from running a generalized agency that specializes in all forms of content to audio only. Isn't that a risk? And um, is podcasting a fad? Like, yeah, for the pandemic, maybe it'll go away. So I think, if anything, this year has solidified that it is a medium. Audio is a medium that has often been overlooked and is really making a mark in terms of advertising and reach. However, I will say there has been a big con in terms of all of the acquisition happening with Spotify and a lot of the major players, which is we're seeing that their products and podcasts will get acquired and then get shelved. And the innovation stops. One big question that I keep getting asked because of the innovative work that Co-host is doing is, is there an acquisition on the horizon for Co-host? And my answer there is we've worked too hard and like too many needles to get acquired by a major player like Spotify and then have our product get shelved, even though I'm sure the check size would be amazing. <laughs> There's a price for everything. But ultimately, I will say that I think with the acquisitions, I think it's important for a lot of the players in the industry to remember that what we're trying to do is move the industry forward rather than just get acquired. Yeah, definitely. And before we get too deep into kind of industry talk and talking about the sector overall, um, can you just tell our audience a little bit more about Co-host and Quill as well, just to provide some context into what you've built? Yes. Um, so a few years ago, I was done. Quite a few years ago, I was running sales at a marketing agency in Toronto, and um, I noticed in 2014, when Serial became a household name, that podcasting was starting to become a household name, and the medium itself was really fascinating because it wasn't available to traditional advertisers. You can be commuting to work and listening to a podcast, but you can't be watching a Netflix show or watching a YouTube video, and you can be walking your dog and listening to podcasts, but you can't be reading articles. So I thought it was a really unique opportunity for brands to reach their audience in a way that they were very engaged and dedicated while actively being consumed in another activity. And so I decided to launch Quill, which is a full service production agency that specializes in podcasts for Fortune 1000 brands. So we typically work with companies like PNOVC, Expedia, Microsoft. Um, and then a few years ago, after doing that for a while, we realized that the data within the industry was very limited. So all you could really tell at lunch, you know, in some of the early days of podcasting, all I could tell you about your data was how many downloads and how many listeners and with the type of clients we work with, that just wasn't enough. Uh, so we decided to launch the world's first podcasting data company for companies that are podcasting. And so uh, we now have two companies under one umbrella. I don't know where I was thinking. <laughs> stopping both, but um, we essentially can give you all of the information that you need about who's listening to your podcast, how they're listening to it, 
and how to make your show successful. Yeah, and that's, I think, an important thing to note because as the sector continues to grow, and if you are a media company or an individual that's looking to start a podcast and you are working with partners, the asks from your partners are going to continue to be more and more complex. And the data that you want to be able to share with them is going to be reflective of that. But if there's no if there's no platform to be able to give you that data, then the information that you can share with your partners is just very, very, very top level. So your platform is incredible. And, and the amount of work that you've been able to build into it is something that I think have been needed so much in the industry. So well, it's funny because of the two competitors we had both got acquired by Spotify yeah. in the last year. And so we're like really the only product left on the market that is like free for all and anyone can use. Now, zooming back out, what do you think podcasts have to say about power of audio as a medium in and of itself? Which is kind of one of the oldest mediums when you think about radio. Yeah. What does it have to say about that, the power of that and the potential of that? And also how you differentiate it from radio or from audiobooks. Um, What's well, interesting to me that it's still so much of an education that brands are constantly, not just brands, like every content channel is often overlooking audio. Because we know everybody consumes content in a different way. Some people prefer reading, some people prefer watching, some people prefer listening. And I think the stats sort of speak for itself, which is 94% of people who start a podcast end up listening to the entire episode that they started, whereas a 30-minute video only has a 12% completion rate. And I get asked all the time why the disparity in numbers. And I think it comes back to our earlier point, which is typically older millennial professionals want to be productive while doing monotonous tasks. And it's the one media where being actively engaged in another activity increases engagement rather than hurts it. Mm -hmm. And for that reason alone, I mean, if you're, if you have a blog and if you have like a YouTube channel and if you have your social channels, why would you overlook audio as a medium? You shouldn't just think of it as a podcast. You should think of it as a 360 content strategy. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, over the past few years, we've seen an uptick in the proliferation of different podcasts, people launching different podcasts, ourselves included. Uh, where do you think that uptick in the podcast space has come from and is, you know, what, what was the, what's the catalyst to that? Some people like to say that I think COVID really, like, exponentially increased the growth of the industry. And I think Quell was, like, well positioned for the pandemic. It was like, a very small silver lining in the entire COVID experience. There were no more in-person events. I think a lot of people are moving out of office. And so audio was a quick way to reach a global audience and create an intimate connection with listeners. And essentially you become an influencer overnight. You know, everybody knows the mission critical mm -hmm. podcasting Canada. And I think it's just a very quick way to reach that global audience because there are no geographic plot boundaries when it comes to audio content. It's also interesting to me that it's a medium that's taken so long to show this exponential growth because to me, it's a no-brainer that, and I might be biased and I feel like maybe I have to say this on some level, that like audio is king, but that is the way that I like consuming content and that's the way that I like learning. Like I think adding a screen, you lose the flexibility of being able to do whatever you want when you are consuming this content. So 
I think COVID was definitely a huge catalyst for it. And then I think to millions of dollars being pumped into advertising dollars also probably helped. It also probably speaks to where we're at as a work culture now in the sense of how people are consuming content either on the go or if they're working from home or cooking or doing something at the same, at the same time, you are able to kind of consume that content passively, I, I guess, in the background while you are doing other things. And it kind of just speaks to what's happening in work culture in general or, or is in tandem with work culture and where we're evolving. No, yeah, I think that that's 100% true. And, I mean, culture constantly keeps evolving, but it's interesting. One question that I get asked all the time is like, is podcasting really saturated now? Are there too many podcasts out there? And I always respond with, well, let's, let's ask a different question. How many blogs are there? You know, there's 600 plus million blogs. There's 1.5 billion websites. There's 30 plus million YouTube channels. And then there's only 3 million podcasts of which only 18% are active. And we're currently producing new episodes. So actually we're really at the beginning of the hype cycle. And it brings me back to my earlier point, which is what I said about Joe Rogan. He kept going. And that's why he's so big today. And I think the challenge of podcasting is oftentimes people will give up really quickly because there's, there's no instant gratification at the marathon. Mm -hmm. uh, and the people that end up becoming influencers and who really see that momentum with their shows, and I see this directly with my clients, are the ones that do it consistently for a long period of time. It's like building a business. Yeah. And, you know, if you're a brand or you're managing a brand or you yourself are a brand, you know, how do you evaluate whether or not, you know, to pursue podcasting? Like, what are the things that people, I mean, I, I'm sure that, you know, everyone should pursue it, but what are the actual, the key considerations from, you know, anything from a logistical standpoint or a capacity standpoint to a resources standpoint? What are the things that people should know as a beast? I mean, for starters, I don't think everyone should pursue it. And that's okay. generally my like first piece of advice for everyone. If you hate speaking, if you hate you know, learning about people, if you're like not innately like a curious person, it's probably not the best fit uh, for you in terms of your skill set. It's like building a brand. If you're not a good public speaker, then don't speak. Find another way to, to, to build your brand. I will say that generally with podcasting, if you are trying to reach an older millennial professional audience, that is typically when it would work well with your brand strategy. So I've recently had a long-term care home reach out to me asking to do a podcast the budgets were fine but when i asked them who their target audience was it was like people in their 60s and 70s who are you know thinking about what to do with their wills and it's like none of those people are listening to podcasts <laughs> my dad is 80 he doesn't even know what a podcast is those <laughs> days i could not explain what my business does <laughs> so i think that's like primary number one really who are you trying to target in terms of your customer base or your stakeholders. And if it's truly just pure brand awareness, of course, perceive it as a tactic. But if you're looking at it from a monetization or regeneration perspective, I would say really want to typically target older millennial professionals or the folks who are listening to on well these days. The, the Gen Zers are on TikTok, I hear. Uh, I think that that's where I would start. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And what do you think is the most surprising thing um, that people are discovering about the world of podcasts um, as a tool for business and brand awareness? Maybe something that they wouldn't immediately kind of expect or, you know, dispelling kind of misconceptions as well. 
Well, it's interesting because BBC just did a study last year and they put out quantitative stats on how it impacts like a brand's bottom line. And um, I think it was something ridiculous, like 24% increase in brand favorability, uh, 16% increase our purchasing intent, which like if all you're doing is creating a podcast for brand awareness, like that, that those are pretty great stats. Uh, the example that I always like to share is in our household, we eat a lot of ice cream and like a very active, prominent ice cream consumer. <laughs> and um, I never used to be loyal to any particular brand. I used to just take whatever was on sale or my like, childhood favorite Baskin Robbins, which is like an unpopular opinion, but you know, mid chocolate chip is what I would go for. Yes. And then one day I listened to the podcast episode on how I built this with Guy Raz and it was Ben and Jerry, the two founders of Ben and Jerry. And I just fell in love with their brand story and their mission, what they're trying to do for their business, started following their social activism and now an exclusive Ben and Jerry's customer. We won't purchase anything else now because we just are so connected to their brand. Mm. We walk around all day long and we... Google, Amazon, the Globe and Mail, the Toronto Star, like Microsoft, know all of these companies, but they're just these big companies that we know of. We don't really have like a, a loyal connection to them or their brand story. And so I feel like podcasting humanizes what's actually happening behind the scenes of these companies, gives you an opportunity to tell your story, uh, share what you're working on, share your vision, the journey, and Ultimately, I think it really does foster brand loyalty. And consumers these days are also much more discerning and yes. make their decisions based off of values and understanding where a company stands in terms of sustainability or equity. And so being able to kind of pull back the curtain on those things and have a better understanding of how a company operates or just, as you mentioned, humanizing a brand um, so that it's not just a quote unquote brand, but also a company that is run by actual human beings that also shares similar values. It just drives up the loyalty and the engagement and the affinity that you would have for that brand. Yeah, definitely. And you can also control the content. Like you like, mm. if people ask all the time, like, should we be advertising on other podcasts with the second dynamically inserted ad, or should we actually take the time to create a podcast and say, well, you create a podcast, which arguably always costs as much of the advertising, the good ones. You can control the content and control how you tell your brand story and how to want to position yourself in the market. Do you want to be the go-to experts in XYZ? Sephora's podcast lip stories, they created a new lipstick line and each lipstick sort of profiles or female pioneer uh, in tech or business or in a particular industry and they turned each lipstick line into a podcast episode. That was the catalyst of Sephora being on the front end of, you know, being the industry leader in lifestyle and beauty for and innovation as well as diversity inclusion. Sephora was never known for diversity inclusion, but they can change their narrative overnight by creating a podcast that was focused on that. So it's never too late to start. And if, I, if I'm a brand, I, I mean, what are the barriers to entry to starting a podcast? Like how easy is it? What do I need to consider if I am a small business, which most people are, and your resources are limited, you know, is starting a podcast easier than pursuing, you know, the, the other venture on the left or the right? How easy is it to start it? Well, 
The good news is it is a pretty democratized industry where anyone with a following and internet connection can essentially be a podcaster. All you will have to do is like have a knack for telling like good content or good stories. And I think probably the biggest challenge in podcasting is that oftentimes people will start really enthusiastically with a great idea, but then soon after become overwhelmed with either the technical aspects of production or not realize how hard it is to gain uh, a global audience and drive in your listeners. And so oftentimes they say, don't necessarily have a budget. The best way is to just keep going, producing new content and doing everything that you can from an organic perspective to gain reach. But I will say that it generally is like low barrier century in that anyone can start and put out a podcast and there's a lot of free resources in, in terms of doing so. I think the challenge with the industry is that it's still lacking very much from a diversity standpoint. So uh, both human audience composition as well as podcast hosts and the type of guests and stories that are profiled. I generally say that if we want to serve more people in cities like Dubai and Hong Kong and Shanghai, we need to sound more like those cities. So we really need to do a better job of listening to shows that aren't produced by Gimlet and New York Times with hosts like Alex and PJ Vote and Guy Raz. So anytime anybody asks me what shows I'm listening to, I make sure that those shows are not on my list. Mm, interesting, interesting. And you mentioned also saturation before. Um, what is kind of like a misconception around what people have about the space and and the myths of, around podcast guests? Well, I mean, I think for starters, people think that it's like a crowded space, which like I already gave the stats earlier today. It's absolutely not a crowded space. We're very much in the beginning of the hype cycle. Uh, and then I think it's also just the fact that you need to have really big advertising budgets to be really successful. Um, when I think about the budget that Serial had in order to put together the production that they did, it was penance. And they became a household name. What they did have was a really good story and a host, Sarah Kenning, who was like a really good storyteller. So yes, I do think that there's a lot of not great podcasters out there who like want a podcast, but maybe not necessarily have the skills or the content for it. But I think that anyone can be a really good podcaster. And I think it's absolutely a myth when people think that it's a crowded place. Right. So when we're just building on that, when we talk about people that or maybe not have, don't have the strongest podcast or the show or content, uh, you know, entering into space can be a bit overwhelming for newcomers, especially if it's something that you are not familiar with. It could be very daunting and overwhelming. Um, what are the key fundamentals that everyone should keep in mind uh, when they get started, whether that's understanding your concept, carving out a target audience, or um, you know, building out a path for awareness what are the things that people should be as objectives? So for starters, I would say that um, it's better to be something to someone rather than everything to everyone. And actually in podcasting, the more niche you are, the better your show does. I am two client examples. I have a client who created a podcast where he will only interview chief marketing officers, which sounds really limiting, but he has the most insane following because all of the CMOs in the world listen to this one podcast. Another example is this client came to us and he wanted to start a open baking podcast. And I was like, seriously, AL, no one's going to listen to this. This is so boring. I want to pop my eye out. 
and I'm producing this podcast and so bored. And joke's on me because he has one of the biggest followers, millions of followers. People all over the world reach out. We have to answer his fan mail. <laughs> and fuck, apparently open banking has a cult-like following. I just wasn't privy to that. So it was a lesson to me that when you create content in an area where it be subject matter expert and B, it's very niche and specialized, there will be a natural community for it versus if you're trying to create another interview podcast where you interview business leaders, you're competing with the how I built this of the world. If you're, you know, creating another like tech solving, hacking, like type investigative show, you're competing with the reply alls of the world. So rather than just creating another show that already exists out there, try to be the first, the best or different. And also building on that point, I guess it is a great way to further establish yourself as a subject matter expert and a category leader by being able to speak on those topics and share resources and information with an audience and then establish yourself in the industry as a leader. Yeah, exactly. The other thing I would say is please do not record on your follow car, Zoom, or Anchor. These are not podcast recording softwares and I think the number one drop-off rate is usually because of the lack of sound quality. So that's just like my hot tip. If you want people to listen to your show, use a Riverside or a Squadcast or something that's designed for podcast optimization rather than uh, content spying. Uh, now, in the U.S. alone, podcast advertising spending has increased steadily over the years with 2022 figures estimated at $1.73 billion U.S. dollars. By 2024, forecasts were saying that this will surpass $2.5 billion. So why should brands consider advertising in the podcast space? We've been talking about producing, but why, you know, on the flip side of the coin, why should brands be considering a, consider a, an advertising strategy to invest in that as a medium as opposed to other things? So podcasting is less about niche and more about engaged communities. And so I think that um, if you are looking for an ROI, that's based on like, what's the maximum amount of people I can reach, you're better off investing in social ads, Facebook ads, Google ads. Um, but if you're actually looking to reach like a very targeted, ripe and engaged audience, then podcasting is the way to go. Why do I think that brands should be like contemplating it? For, for many reasons, one, to reach a global audience, two, to create an intimate connection with their stakeholders. And three, I, I would say that it is one of the highest conversion rate in terms of ROI on your dollars and if you are able to tap into the right demographic. Mm -hmm. So off the top of my head, I, I have a friend in Toronto who owns a podcast where she interviews uh, businesses that have failed in the city and it's a very local podcast. Like only Torontonians listen to it and uh, she doesn't even have that many listeners, I would say a couple hundred per episode and she's been doing it for a while. But when HelloFresh decided that they needed to launch like new mail, mail delivery kits in Toronto, she was one of the first people that they reached out to because she had such an engaged and hyper-targeted audience. And so in situations like that, I would say podcasting is engaged. Flipping the conversation to focus a little bit more about your personal journey, how did you spot the opportunity to work with in this space specifically in podcasting? Because your background 
is you know you've worked with different kind of roles in different sectors and industries. So why was this the area that you decided to focus on? Well, for starters, I kind of was already doing this at the marketing agency where I'm leading sales. So people wanted to sort of it was a we didn't call it podcast back then. It was a webinar series or video productions, and I was always scrambling to find freelancers. Actually, Daniel, the audience, and was one of the freelancers that I worked with, um, taught us such a tight-knit community. Everyone sort of knows everyone. And I would tap into these freelancers and try to get these shows off the ground. And I realized that nobody really knew what they were doing, including myself. Um, but yet, somehow, the final output or product was, like, really beautiful and, like, done really well. And so I thought, wouldn't it be really great if there was just, like, one agency that I could call that could create an audio format show for me and I wouldn't have to worry about any like pieces of project managing and making it come together so that I think that was really the main reason I think sometimes people think that you can have an idea for a business in the shower where all great ideas happen but for me it was actually just a pain point of like daily work at an agency and not having the right resources in place I will say the other thing that really bothered me is as a salesperson I worked really hard to make other people rich <laughs> and one day woke up and was like what if i did all of that for myself mm. and uh hot tip guys if you're in sales everybody needs sales people for companies but if you're doing it for yourself nothing is more motivating and that's why the why it sends yeah and so it's been how many years since you started quill uh four four years yes and so you know as a a business owner, a small business owner, what have been kind of the biggest learnings that you've had cultivating your brand, building it, and just in terms of building a company also, you know, through a pandemic as well? The, this one is like the most, I would say, genuinely humbling experience because before you start a company, think that you will be accountable to no one and like life as a founder can be like a lot more empowering. And then when you're actually a founder, realize it's the most thankless job. You're accountable to everyone, customers, your employees. Um, and your entire job and existence is like dealing with crap <laughs> and putting out fires every day, all day. And I think I've just started to get to a point where I'm like comfortable with the uncertainty. And it's not for the faint of heart. Like now we're 30 full-time employees and on top of that, 10 contractors and our team is across North America and on different time zones. And I was just on the phone with Eric the other day having a nervous breakdown about five things that went wrong that week. And she said, if it was easy, then everybody would do it. Mm. And I think that was the biggest learning experience for me that if you choose to go down this path you have to be very comfortable with the discomfort. Yeah, absolutely. Um, now I've had the good fortune of knowing you for a few years and I know that you, and I have seen how many incredible relationships, uh, you built within the industry, within the community, the amount of respect people have for you and just the impact you have in the community. What do you think is the key to building and nurturing really great relationships, business relationships? So I think. COVID and the pandemic was like our really big detriment to this, but I, we are now in a, 
in an environment where we can build our businesses without ever having to interact with the outside world, thanks to SEO and ads and PPC and everything being virtual or remote, we really don't have to interact with the outside world. And I will say that I built my entire network one handshake at a time through networking events, through those face-to-face relationships. And I would say that I think online tactics are definitely more productive and efficient, but offline tactics uh, are long sustaining. And and those are the relationships that I focus on. And I've been a salesperson for a really long time and my style has never been to rely on online tactics. It's never been cold calling or picking up the phone or relying on drip campaigns and sequence emails. It's always been building those relationships and knowing that if you provide value, it'll come back 360 or 180? 360. Not 180. That would be the opposite of what yeah. it's happening. Yes, 360. And that's exactly what I think has happened. So I think now that the pandemic is over and I really like applaud everyone for coming out today. And I would say that now is the time to like start fostering those relationships again. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's, it's again, introducing that human element yes. and having those human connections and you know, again, being able to have uh, events from our end and be able to foster relationships with people that we are already familiar with, but also cultivate new ones is very, very, very important for us as a business too. And I'm sure that you probably feel the same from your end of the business as well. Yeah, definitely. And you're also amazing at fostering relationships. I can tell everyone the amount of time Lance has uh, picked me for profiling for Bay Street Bowl, allowed me to contribute op-eds. I won the 30 under 30 award back in the day. It was a while, <laughs> a while ago. And just, you know, I, I find that you're always constantly profiling and championing people. And so um, when I saw that you, you partnered with ClickO, I was like, oh, that makes a lot of sense because mm-hmm. their mission seems to be so in line with your personal brand. So to me, it was like a no-brainer that you two would work together. Thank you. Thank you. Um, speaking of Vogue Clico, so in 2021, they released the second edition of their barometer, which covers 17 countries and over 30, uh, over 34,000 respondents to explore women's entrepreneurship. One finding in the study reported that 77% of people, they, they responded that said that having a role model to look up to is essentially becoming a successful entrepreneur. What does mentorship and having and role models, what, in, what kind of role has that played in your life? Yeah, it's so true. I mean, I couldn't agree with that more. And I think about all of the people that I've looked up to and and mentored by, as well as the people day to day that I like rely on just to get me through the week are all really powerful, strong female founders who either look like me, talk like me, sound like me. I think being a founder is just challenging on its own, but being a female founder comes with a whole set of obstacles and the margin of error is like very small. Like we're being judged on a very different standard. And I, I see it all the time at work. Like when I walk into a room, I have to be always look prepared for every meeting because that is what translates into confidence. And I know that like I can't ever like do anything but my best because I'm being judged on like the harshest of standards. And so um, I have a lot of respect for female founders who make it because it's it's tough. And and I would say, like, you know, find your crowd of people that are going through the same struggles and challenges as you, because, like, that's what gets me through the day. It's like those women that are also in, like, the same business journey as me. Yeah, yeah. 
So just as kind of we're, we're winding down here, just to recap some of the major things we've discussed today, if you could summarize into a formula or a recipe, what would you say are in the, the ingredients that make a successful podcast? Oh, thank goodness you said podcast. I thought you were going to say founder. It's like <laughs> a formula. The formula is there is no formula. Yeah. Uh, a podcast, I can tell you that there is a formula and the formula is being the first, the best, or different in terms of editorial content, creating a show that is marketable, and then marketing your show. Those are the three things that I would say uh, you need to focus on. If it is not enough to simply create a podcast and hope that your audience will come, you need to ruthlessly invest in marketing, paid and organic or organic. And just remembering that, again, I say this all the time, but it's a marathon, it takes time. And be patient. And, and steadfast, I guess. Um, what are any kind of big predictions that you have for 2023? Is there anything that you're seeing coming down the road that is exciting or, or kind of be kind of a, a big kind of industry trend? Well, I'm really hoping that 2023 is the year that people stop listening to Joe Rogan. And I would say just, I mean, this is my, I don't know if this is my prediction, but this is really like my like dream for the industry. A, that like the audience composition and the, that a host that we're listening to evens out a little bit more from a diversity perspective, because it is really disheartening to see that it's always the same hosts, always the same producers, always the same networks and agencies that are creating the same type of content that like to see a little bit more diverse programming. And I would say the second thing that I'm really hoping for, fingers crossed, is that, um, Actually, less acquisitions and more innovation. Great. Now, whenever we record an interview for the podcast, we always end off by asking, what is your mission and purpose? What kind of fuels your everyday decisions, big and small, for both as a company and as an individual? To get rich or die trying. According to a 2021 survey conducted by the Podcast Exchange, the potential for podcasts continues to grow. Nearly 12 million Canadian adults, or 38% of the 18 and over population, have listened to podcasts in the past year. Podcast listeners also over-indexed for being young, diverse, have higher educations, and live in households with more than $100,000 income. In the U.S., these numbers are even larger, with over 82 million people listening to podcasts in 2021, as reported by Statista. That number is expected to reach over 100 million listeners in 2024, which means an increasingly significant audience to market your brand to and establish your voice. But it's important to remember, as Fatima notes, to have something to say and to do so in a unique manner. That's going to be crucial in spreading the gospel of your brand, personal or corporate. So I'm curious, do you have a podcast or are you thinking of starting one after listening to this episode? Share your feedback or your podcast with us on social media at Mission Critical Podcast. Thanks again to our presenting partner, Wolf Clico, and venue partner, Valerie, at Hotel X for a wonderful evening. We'll see you all on the next episode. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd appreciate it if you left a review on Apple Podcasts so we can get the word out. To keep up to date, subscribe to our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen to podcasts. Thanks for tuning in. Until next time, ask yourself. What's your mission?